It'd be kind of you know weird if I left the silence. But that's all right, because strangely enough, that's what we're talking about tonight. Solitude and silence. Uh, the series that we're in now, we've just kicked it off last week, is based around the idea that we can be like Jesus. This conviction that God didn't give us a, uh, a calling that we can't achieve. And if that is what we want, if we want to be like our Saviour, then like any good disciple, our job is to watch him, to see what he does so we can imitate him. That's what the original disciples did. That's what they were expected to do, and that's what they were calling others to do after him when Jesus said, make more disciples, not of you this time, but of me. So in this series, that's what we're going to do. We're going to have a look at these, some, a bunch of spiritual disciplines so, so that we can do what he did. That's the, that's the, the purpose of our series. Um, now, to kick us off, um, just to sort of put things in a bit of order... There's a guy named Dallas Willard, who is a, um, a really uh, helpful Christian writer, who um, he, he sort of, he's got a few different ways of breaking the disciplines down, but one of them is, to, is the disciplines of abstinence, so something that you're not doing. So solitude, so you're not being with people. Silence, you're not being where there is noise. Uh, it's about the absence of something. Uh, and there's these other ones, these disciplines of engagement where we are, there's a content to it. There's a, a thing that you're pursuing or engaging with. And today, we're combining two disciplines of abstinence for our first week in this. Silence and solitude. Um, I know we had meditation in the mix in the original title for this, but we're going to leave that out so we can put it into uh, the disciplines of engagement and stick with these disciplines of, um, of abstinence today. And so we might want to start with, well, what are they? What are these disciplines? Um, and we'll start with solitude, but then we'll also see how these two things sort of come together. People exert pressure, don't they? They just do. Different pressure. Like some people walk in the room and you feel one thing. And another person feels in the room and you feel another thing, but you always feel something. It's different if I go into that room if it's full. I might not go into that room if it's too full. Or if I go into that room and it's empty. And very different if I go into that room and there's just one person there, isn't it? See, people exert a pressure, a cultural pressure, and it's hard to be free from it except when we're not around other people. It could be a good pressure or a bad pressure, but either way, you're not going to be free from it when you're near them. And so the discipline of solitude is to find that space, to intentionally take time away from people, to, to take time away from the input that they put into the system. And, and even, to, even, in fact, I would go as far as to say with solitude, uh, to stay away from the things that people have made that, put that input into you again. So uh, the, the phone that's sitting there that's, that's, that's promising to put input into you with a notification, the, even maybe the, uh, the, the technology, a book even maybe. You, maybe you don't read a book when you're practicing the discipline of solitude because it's about being away from people inputting into you, into your system. This is what the spiritual discipline of solitude is about. So what do you do then? Well, nothing. You just notice what happens when you're away from those influences. We'll say a little bit more in a, in a minute, but, but to start off, I do want to say it's an absence of something, not doing something and just trying to make yourself be able to concentrate for it. Um, secondly, uh, what is silence? 
as a spiritual discipline? Well, it is pretty simple. It's, it's the absence of noise. And we're gonna, we'll pick up on a second discipline of silence as well, tonight, just briefly, which is the discipline of choosing not to speak. And we'll talk about that a little. But primarily, it is about having a space where there is no sound. This is really hard to achieve. <laughs> right now, even I can hear something. It's a beautiful sound. It's a good sound. But to achieve genuine silence, when was the last time you think that you were in actual silence? I can't remember. I can't think. Maybe on our honeymoon when we visited my grandfather that night and it was so black. And anyway, like that's, which, that's a while ago now. So the whir of the air conditioner, the sound of the computer as it fires up, there is a scientifically measured physiological response to silence. It's very, very real for us. Now, the great thing about these two disciplines being an absence of something is it's really hard to mess them up. Like you, can, you, you, like, like, you can sort of think, oh, I'm doing praying wrong, or I'm doing meditation wrong, or I'm doing fellowship or confession or submission wrong, but like, as long as you can't hear anything, you can't do silence wrong, it's just turning up to the space where there is silence and the space where there is solitude. And that in and of itself is actually a thing. Now, I want to invite Benjamin up. I, I, um, I asked him if he would uh, share a little bit with us. And um, yeah, there you go. Grab that one. Uh, it's on mute at the moment. Um, now, Benjamin, you went on a trip a little while back, and you included in it, like, how many days? Like a week or so of just, like, you traveling around on your own in beautiful nature in the US. Is that right? Two weeks. Two weeks. No other people. No one, <clears throat> no one traveling with me. There was, like, other tourists and stuff around, but... I was in, yeah, getting away by myself for two weeks. Wow. So, you, yeah, you, this is just first-hand experience. Uh, what was it, I didn't queue him up for this before he went away in any way. Um, what was it like when you started out that, like, having all that solitude? How did, what, what did you experience? At first, it's like, for me, it was actually really refreshing, just having less things happening around me um, and being able to just, like, settle down, calm down, not have all the distractions of like work pressures, church pressures, um, and just all the everyday kind of pressures. Um, and just to be able to space out um, for a bit was, was really refreshing. Um, but then I also used that solitude and silence to focus more on the other side, like more study and worship and prayer um, as well, which is, yeah, great too. Was great to do. When you started out, did it feel like easy and natural to like have just all this space, or was it like was your mind sort of like still in racing mode and took you a while to step down? Took a while to step down, uh, but yeah, once I got there, it was really nice. Cool. And uh, what would you say now about about solitude um, as a thing? Like, uh, is it now? Because because I remember you saying you hadn't done anything like that for ages before you went away. Now are you like. Yeah, no, I've done that. I'm good. Or are, you, or are you, you know, wanting to do more of it? What's it? Yeah, what's your experience been? Definitely want to do more of it. Uh, just being able to get away from the distractions and the pressures, and to really focus on where you are at with God. Um, being able to, like, it's, it's something you can do. Like, even from uh, the quietness of say your bedroom of an evening, like you can do your Bible reading, you can do your prayer, 
Um, but then to actually set aside a whole day to do that is next level. Um, and I am always looking forward to my next opportunity when I can get away and do that. Yeah, wow. Thanks so much, Benjamin. Really appreciate it. Um, sorry for making you like a guinea pig up here, but it's, yeah, it's just so helpful because you've just been through that. Um, and, and yes, walked, walked through something that's hard to get into and feels like you can't get time for, but then once you've had it, like, oh, I've got, to, I've got to get time for it. Now, look, Jesus wants to be like Benjamin, right? Because you can see here Luke, um, Benjamin, I'm hoping it's the other way around. Uh, Jesus regularly practiced these. You can go through the book of Luke just, just as one gospel. I mean, I obviously chose it because it's the best example of it. But um, you can go through it, even just in the one gospel. It's not just sort of jumping from gospel to gospel with the same, the same and Jesus used to withdraw sort of verse just <laughs> in the different gospels. No, in the one gospel, it's repeated. Even, even go back to Luke uh, chapter 3, verse 2, for example. Um, John the Baptist was actually out in the wilderness. God spoke to John where there was space for him to attune himself to God's voice. So Jesus' cousin, who he, who he came and joined up with, um, who Jesus came and joined up with, uh, was out in the wilderness. Uh, go to Luke 4, verse 12. Jesus was tempted after he was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. Now, the wilderness, uh, this word, it, it doesn't mean like, you know, a uh, place where Bear Grylls would shoot something. It doesn't have to be spectacular. It doesn't have to be wild. But it does have to be deserted. That's the, 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 the thing that all the definitions of the word kind of uh, all imply, that there's nobody else there whenever you see this word. And, some of, and the, the solitary place, like often it's the same Greek word. They're just trying to get a, a word to get it across. And so Jesus is tempted after this time with no other people. Now, I did hear one guy who was, um, uh, he was sort of um, chastising us for, uh, for, I don't know, have you ever thought, gee, it'd be a bit rough to be tempted like after you've just had 40 days worth of no food or limited food? Like you're thinking, okay, this is not going to be me at my best. But I don't know, I wonder if, you know, Benjamin or those of you who love doing this um, might have a slightly different take on it because maybe after 40 days, of solitude and deep connection with God, maybe that was the point where he was best equipped to actually deal with the temptation. Don't know, that's just speculation. But it's an interesting thought, a different take on the passage, isn't it? Now we come to Luke 4, 42, so later in the same chapter, and here we see many people wanting to be with Jesus. But Jesus goes out to a lonely place, the same word, this solitary place, place where there is nobody else. Now, these people have got genuine needs. He has been healing. They want more healing. They are hoping for him to stay, to give them all of these things. And they're genuine needs. Like, they are needs that if we could meet them, many of us would feel that we didn't have enough time to go away and leave them and be quiet because these are real needs. Like, have you ever felt, have you ever felt guilt-tripped? Into, into, into serving and meeting needs that you didn't even think, oh, maybe it's not my job, but I just have to. Jesus was assertive about his quiet time. He didn't let guilt trips or someone else's agenda for his time determine what he did. He determined what he did. The Son of God, and this trips me out a little, the Son of God prioritized and protected his moments of silence and solitude. He knew he needed to to be the man 
who would do the thing that he would need to do. One of the things that I think as we see Jesus preparing himself for his work at the cross is we see him not thinking so much, oh, I've got to do the right thing. But you see him following the process. You see him becoming the man who he's going to be. As Hebrew says, he learned things. He learned obedience through his practices. Not thinking, I've got to achieve this goal and asking, well, did I achieve it? That's my criteria. But actually asking, is what I'm doing turning me into the person that will make God very joyful and pleased? Am I becoming who I want in Christ to be? And that's an attitude that we're going to sort of try and cultivate and refine as we go through these sections. Um, I actually think that it is this that allows Jesus to be so present and responsive in other situations. Have you noticed a lot of the gospel stories, Jesus gets interrupted halfway through stuff? Like he's on the way somewhere and then all of a sudden someone's like grabbing his skirt and being like, hey, 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 and, and wanting him for something. And Notice how he never seems to be busy. Like not flustered, you know? Like oh, I get flustered and someone's, I'm trying to do this and, and I just gotta, I've just got to feel like I've got 18 things going on. And he never seems to be like that when you read these passages. He might say no <laughs> when someone asks him, and I'm going to do this instead because this is what I need to do. I need to honour my father above you. Sorry, sorry. But he's never busy and flustered. He's there making a choice. See, Jesus had his quiet time, Luke 5, 16. Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. It was his habit. He stilled and calmed his soul. He centred in the love of his Father as his regular pattern of life. Because that creates the kind of human being that is going to please his Father. So he, he because of his disciplines... And I think of disciplined people and I think of really rigid people who are like so singularly focused and everything's all rigid about them. But, but like it's because of Jesus' disciplines that he was so flexible in these other situations, so responsive. He was able to be so present in the moment for people because his stole was stilled and centred, unrushed and fully human in all the best ways. And at the same time, assertive in saying no when that was the right thing to do, completely guilt-free. And some people call that being assertive. But I want I it to, whatever, whatever I call it for me, I want it to look like Jesus was. Now, sometimes here we see uh, he did sacrifice sleep for prayer. I think uh, this is the only reference we have for this. So I don't know if this is sort of a, a good sort of, you know, all you night owls uh, like myself, uh, you know, to, to abuse sleep times. But... There were some times when there were things more important. And the only thing we have here that was more important than that was prayer. Quiet time with his father. Or even the last one here, Luke 9, uh, 10 to 11. Jesus is again heading harassed. These people, uh, they, they, he, he wants to get away with his disciples. They've, they've got an Airbnb in Bethsaida, you know, big house, but they're all chipping in. But the crowds learned about it and followed him. And he welcomed them. Like if it wasn't the right thing to do, he would have said, sorry guys, no, we've got work to do, we're having our retreat, go away. But even after he's, he, he's, he's sort of been pushed and he's tried to get away, he was able to say yes with a full heart. 
one of the things that I worked out when um, early in ministry was, was um, someone who was really bugging me all the time. They were calling me at like 11 o'clock at night and then 12 o'clock at night and asking me to catch up with them all these times. And so I kept on saying yes because I felt really bad. I was like, oh, I really should. Oh, I really should. Oh, they're in such a bad way. Oh, yeah, they've been really suicidal. It's really, really hard. And, and one time I was just like, I worked out it was my fault that I was getting really annoyed at them because I'd never told them no. And so... When he called up next time and said, hey, can we catch up? I said, actually, the next time I can, I can honestly catch up with you is in 10 days' time on Thursday. And I thought, oh, no, he's just going to get all really bent out of shape about it. And he said, yep, sounds great. See you then. <laughs> I was like, whoa. And what happened was I rocked up to that meeting on the, on the Thursday, and I, I, it's, instead of being annoyed at him like I had been the last few times, I was so present and so joyful at being there. I'd made the choice. Now, one of the things that, um, that happened as the Roman Empire started to fall, I'm not one of those guys who thinks about the Roman Empire daily, but some people do apparently, and as the Roman Empire started to sort of uh, decay uh, in, in the uh, few centuries after Jesus, um, was the, these people, they are referred to as the Desert Fathers by some, uh, would retreat to spend time in solitude. And one of the things that they would say about what they were doing, and they were careful about this, or at least a lot of them were, was say, we're not retreating from the world. We're retreating for the world. I'm getting away so that I can come back. I'm getting away so that I can be recharged, refueled, and deal with what Benjamin said, what God is, what God is doing in my soul, to then return, as Jesus did, and be a blessing. And you can, I think you can see how that's taking after Jesus. Now, what happens in silence and solitude? We've already said that you don't do anything in silence and solitude, that it's the absence of something, absence of noise and absence of people and human intervention. Um, but we should talk about what happens, happens in um, silence and solitude. Uh, I think that'll be helpful. Um, and I've got three, three little things that I think I want to say about that. The first one is what happens in solitude is whatever happens. To some degree, we, just, we want to be humble. We want to simply do this because Jesus did it. Even if I, I could come up with a whole bunch of psychological reasons, and, but, but I don't think I find any of them in the Bible, so I'd be making them up. And yet this is a practice of our Lord. So we trust and we follow him. Live as he lived. So even if I can't, even if I maybe not can't, but can't, don't choose to, make up a reason why. But because I... You know, preacher, and you need three points. Uh, maybe, maybe, maybe can suggest a couple of things that do seem to happen, and we do hear a little bit about in the Bible. It's in some ways, I think what happens in silence and solitude is that it allows the self to surface. Now, um, I don't know if any of you guys here uh, have ever got ambitions to be an astronaut, but apparently, uh, when you go up into space, it's not like in Star Wars. So, like, if a Tie Fighter flew past you in a battle, you wouldn't be able to hear that really cool kind of sound like you know the one and and like you wouldn't hear the explosions you'd be flying around and it'd be dead silent except for like the shuddering of your ship as you get blasted out of the sky right and that's really disappointing to me but it's also just really disappointing to nasa astronauts because when they go up into space it gets quiet proper quiet and when it gets up there they have to train because when it gets that quiet, there's like a special name for this chamber that they go into to train. When it gets that quiet, you start to be able to hear your heart pumping and your stomach sloshing 
and your other internal organs moving. And the sound, apparently the sound of your muscles flowing over the, the skin and the fascia. You start to be able to hear yourself. And then apparently that's at the point where you can really start hearing that. That's apparently the point where you also start hearing things that are not there. <laughs> it, just, it, it gets a little crazy. If you don't, and if you don't train, you're going to go nuts in space, right? But I think it's actually a good metaphor for what comes up when there is silence. What comes up is we start to experience more of ourselves. Like it, it comes out. What happens to you when there's some space? Do you instinctively want to find something to entertain? Do you reach for the phone? Do you head to the computer? Do you run to the sports field to avoid that? Well, maybe if you do that, maybe there's a tip that there's actually something difficult for you waiting in the silence. I didn't say bad. I said difficult. Maybe there's something within you that God's doing, facing something hard that's there. Or maybe you love it. Maybe there's deep joy in your heart, and whenever there's space and silence, you're just there, and you're like, fantastic, because I can just enjoy my God and enjoy the joy that I have in the gospel uh, because of that. So what, it's worth asking and thinking, what comes up for you when there is space? Now, if you're a parent of small children, you're like, that's a dim memory. <laughs> I don't know when that, la- when that was. But if we can find it in whatever way is appropriate for our stage of life, it's worth doing it to see what is God doing in me. I think something like that with Benjamin's words, exactly, that, very similar to what I said, but I had no idea he was going to say them. But that's what he could attune to. Thirdly, I think what also happens is the absence of other things stops our attention from being grabbed away. And so we can attune to God in that space. We can attend to him. We can attune ourselves to what the Spirit has been doing in us, but also in what he has done for us in the gospel. So more of ourselves is coming up, and we're less distracted from connecting with God, and so we've got a whole lot more of the real me, able to connect a whole lot more with the real God without any of these other things getting in the way. And isn't that how we grow and how we change and how we become more like Jesus? The real us with the real God together. A couple of thoughts just on what happens. Look, um, little point on the discipline of not speaking. It's, a kind of a, it's kind of a like a, a, I guess it just does fit under the category of silence. Ecclesiastes 3.7 says there's a time for everything, a time to speak and a time to shut up. Um, It's quite hard to achieve, though, uh, if you haven't noticed, controlling your tongue and not saying dumb things. Um, Even, you know, my wife will sort of tell me after this, Pete, did you need to say shut up? Like, could you not have just said, like, you know, be quiet? Like, is that a little colloquial? Like, who can control the tongue? It's not easy. I'm from Brisbane. I'm dumb at this stuff. Now, my name's Peter. (laughs) Oh, well, you know, some people are from the sort of more cultured parts of Brisbane. Um, but like, like, my name's Peter, so here we go. This will separate me from you a little. Um, like, this is the guy who on the Mount of Transfiguration answered someone. The words that says like, what he did was, and he answered someone who wasn't asking him a question. The Transfiguration happens and it says, and Peter answered. It's like, no, you, this is, you're not in the conversation. He did not know what to say, so he said, it says in, a, in the other gospel. And, and such is our need to feel silence, isn't it, sometimes? Man, some conversations... Yeah? Have you ever tried, though, just deciding not to for a moment? I don't mean ignoring the person. Actually, at that point, you have to give them more of yourself. Attend more with your eyes. Attend more with, with, with your whole person. Look and, and be interested and just be present with 
them. Have you ever tried it? It's a different thing. It's, a, it's an interesting experience. I know sometimes for me, uh, sorry, I, I say that as a suggestion, as a, as a mini, mini discipline, a thing that you could do in an appropriate moment. Don't do it when someone's just asked you a question. Just sit there. Hmm. Um, it's probably not very polite, but like pick a moment when it's good and there's a mini discipline to actually grow because we always want to start where we're at, not where we know we should be. You've got to start where we're at. Mini disciplines to build in our capacity to not feel silences unnecessarily with words that we, we don't even know what we're going to say, but we just feel we have to say something like Peter. And I know that for me, often the felt need that I have to say things in those conversations can actually sometimes be because I haven't said enough words to God. I haven't spoken my heart out with him. And so I ramble with people in ways that's, well, it's not a bad thing to find, have a friend who loves you rambling to them. It's in fact one of those beautiful things you can have, but not in every situation. And we need to know, be able to discern. If we want to be wise people, if we want to be Jesus-like people, if we want to be disciplined people, then we're going to be people who are disciplined enough to know the difference, which situation is which. And so develop the discipline in little ways. Like maybe that, that discipline of not speaking in a silence that you feel needs filling. Um, all right. I've got a, I want, what I want to do is we're basically, I think that's sort of the, the end of the talk. But I thought it might be nice if you guys do have any questions or angles or pushbacks or um, comments. Prophecy, prophesy to us, brothers and sisters. Share with each other. Encourage each other. Um, uh, I've got four, like, oh, sorry, three questions here that we might have, particularly about why we don't do these sort of things as much, or why spiritual, spiritual disciplines aren't spoken about as much in our Christian circles. Um, but you might have all sorts of other ones. So I'm going to just answer a couple of questions, and then if you guys want to ask some more, totally free. And then, uh, then we're going to worship our God together in prayer, in song. So I'll, I'll kick off a couple of questions first. Um, first question, why don't we do it? Like, why don't we have, like, spiritual discipline classes? Or, like, why don't we have, you know, allocate, right, Jared's going to be our spiritual disciplines guy, and everyone goes to him, and we go, rotate through. He goes through the batches of kids, and we, like, why don't we do that? And, and the answer is actually we did. We did up until a couple of generations ago. Even the last generation did, like, quiet time. Enforced quiet time by parents and children. That's a thing. And so I think... In answer, why don't we do it? It's actually because it's, a, it's, it's not a, the evangelical church doesn't do it. It's modern people don't do it. It skipped a generation and now we're sort of paying for that. We lose, we've lost out a little. There's, a, there's a, an expertise and a, and a practice of it that kind of feels foreign to us. I mean, if you want confirmation that you can be Protestant and um, spiritual disciplines be a big deal for you, look at the disciplines the reformers had. Like Calvin, Luther, these guys. Martin Luther, Martin Luther's, you know, his favorite, famous phrase, I've got too much to do today. I'm going to need to spend more of my time praying. Far too much to do to get it all done if I don't increase my amount of time in prayer. And that just does not look like our modern day schedules, even for us Christians, does it? But I think he was right. And I think that a disciplined human being who has got their regular disciplines in place even with less hours, will be far more effective for the kingdom of God. And maybe even in their secular job. Um, now, that was a little bit 
preachy, but I guess I'm preaching, so it's okay. Uh, second, isn't, isn't this a Catholic thing, like the idea of rituals of silence? You know, Jesuits, they have silent retreats, don't they? Does anyone here have some sort of Catholic connection or background at all? A couple of people do, sort of, yeah? Um, uh, do you, I'll, I'll ask you, Marika, do you have a strong tradition of regular rituals of silence and solitude, like in that background? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So th- my experience of talking to Catholics is something like that where, yep, every now and again I'll go away and do the big silence thing, but it's not my rhythms of life in the same way. And so um, my broad experience, it might not be everyone's, but my broader experience is that it's not that all Catholics are all over these sort of rituals of spiritual disciplines and the, the Protestants aren't. It's that, you know, a few are, the, the, the Benedictine monks and the Jesuit monks, and those guys are all over that stuff. Uh, and most modern people just aren't. And so perhaps part of the, the distinction. Uh, last little question. Uh, what if you sort of thought, uh, I, thought all, I thought Catholics were all about rituals and Protestants, Presbyterians, were all about Jesus. So why are we talking about rituals? My response to that would be the truth is we all have rituals. Like every human being works in rituals. Just some have more candles in them than others. More incense and scents. The difference between the way that I think we try to do church here and the Catholic way of doing church, I believe, is Catholic rituals draw your attention to Mary, the saints, the priest, and to your own actions in the ritual itself. That's what they draw your eye to and make you attend to. And those people, as far as I can tell, are all non-divine humans. And so they set your mind on those things. Whereas the rituals of silence and solitude, as I would love to encourage you in them, do two things. One, they give you space to let what is happening in you surface. But the main one is to remove distractions from attending to God's presence with you and within you. It's that as we do these rituals, they are designed to give us space to focus on Jesus, to draw our attention to his goodness and his closeness with us not to our achieving of anything.